welcome to another episode of Murder, Myth, and Mystery. I'm one of your hosts, Eric, and I'm joined here today with Mary. Hello. And Sarah. Hello. Hello, ladies. Hi. How's it going, guys? You know, I'm going to be honest. I'm still trying to find my groove after having mm-hmm. two months off. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It is weird. It's, yeah. We've gotten pampered to not researching stuff. And having our free time, it's been so nice. Oh, man. We played a lot of video games. Yeah, Mary oh, and I. We started Luigi's Mansion 3. Oh, yeah, on the on the Switch. Yeah. yeah. Hey, how was your Halloween? It was good. It was super mellow. We really didn't leave the house. Mm-hmm. Um, Jack was, get this, you guys. I know you're going to be shocked. Mm-hmm. He was a dinosaur. What? What? But he was a different color this year. He was. He was a black T-Rex instead of a green T-Rex. So, Oh, yeah. Didn't he have, like, big damn claws on that thing? Uh Uh-huh. He has, like, the Edward Scissorhands looking (laughs) claws. Like, super cute. Hey, I have to tell you, you were so smart, like, just letting him wear that costume whenever. Because you send us cute videos of him yeah. just walking around the lake. You yeah. know, you're like out on your daily walk. Before with Halloween. And and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, why not? He's going to wear yeah. it once. You yeah. know, maybe he might. You know, maybe when they're older, they might have, like, a school thing and trick-or-treating. Yeah. Right. Or, like, multiple friends parties but no this was the best part of letting him wear his costume just wherever yeah it's we'd be like walking around the lake and no matter who we passed they could not help but smile at the three-year-old in his little t-rex costume Uh and he's adorable to boot yeah yeah Yeah. with his shades and his chunky cheeks (laughs) and he look you guys he takes it so seriously like he'll have like this grumpy look on his face and like roar at people (laughs) Like it's unreal, but like oh, we've seen the, the fact- videos of Roaring. They're great. Yeah, they're legit. But no, like I know whenever I see a kid in a costume, no matter what it is, it kind of makes my day. Yeah, and so I was like, you know, if this like even brightens someone' day like just a little, yeah, that's reason enough for me. Oh, no, yeah. no matter what we're doing, when you send us a video, like we can be in the other room. We're like, oh, we got a new video of Jack. Oh, my God. He's so freaking like, hilarious. Whenever the kids piss me off, I'm like, go get in your Halloween costumes. And then like the minute they walk out, I'm all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Finn's walking now? No. I wish. I'm giving you crap, girl. <laughs> he just scoots. He's scooting along. Oh, we've seen those videos and those are amazing. Oh, yeah. He you gets guys- around, man. Yeah, he just sits on his butt and like scoots himself with his little feet right in front of him. Yeah, and a little scooch action. Little yeah, yeah doggy until he loses cleaning. his balance and falls over and hits his head. It's awful. <laughs> but it, he <laughs> he doesn't hit that hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, we didn't. I tell you, go twenty years from now, you go. Oh, oh yeah, there it is. Yeah. yeah, let's go over those uh, head injuries again. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if we had any trick or treaters since we had since we've gotten the dogs. We just like tape yeah. off our zombie caution tape yeah. up our stairs and turn off our lights. I hate and we just being watch. those people, but it's but just seriously, too much here dogs. it really we've gone so many years without having any trick or treaters. Well, no. okay, that's a little hyperbole. We would get a, a handful. No, one year we'd get like four or five, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next right. year you get. 50 years, 80. So that's how our our neighborhood is. One year I had to send Brett out to get reinforcement candy because there were so many trick-or-treaters. Yeah. 
Like I ran out of candy and had to hide in the basement with the lights off <laughs> until we got more candy. Yeah. Yeah. The next year we stocked up like multiple Costco bags. Yeah. Nothing. And we had like four trick or treaters. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Crazy. Yeah. So yeah, we just watched scary movies. I made us a uh, um, apple and pear cobbler. Delicious. Our neighbor gave us a bunch of pears. He's not, it's funny. He's got this little pear tree in his backyard. And when I say little, it's really not very big. I'm taller than the pear tree. I don't know. It's, it's not very big. Okay. Eric's just going to like (laughs) denounce everything I say, apparently. Mary thinks she's like eight feet tall, but. No, it's a teeny tree. It is a small tree. But this little pear tree. It was covered in pears. I've never seen a fruit yes. tree like this loaded with fruit. Oh it, it was so gosh. great. But he's like, I don't really like pears. You want some pears? I'm like, hell yeah, I want those pears. I'm like, why do you even yeah. have a pear tree if you don't oh like pears? God. But, oh. And the so dogs appreciate good. it. Oh, my God. The dogs Yummy. love uh, it. Yeah. So good. So, yeah, I'm very relaxed yeah. halloween we if you haven't listened to it weirdos we did release a surprise halloween bonus episode had nothing to do with murder myth or mystery it was just a hey we miss you it's halloween month here, here you, you go, go. Mm-hmm. yeah so we hope you enjoyed it we had listener ghost stories submitted a lot of yeah. trivia thanks again for all of those yes, thank you yeah. so much, everyone. Um, oh, we'll be so doing good. it again come Christmas because mm-hmm. I'm bound and determined to bring the ghost story uh, tradition tradition back mm-hmm. for Christmas. It. Yes, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we did our major catch up what we had been doing over the last two months on that episode too, so we didn't yeah. bog this one down. Yeah. And welcome to all the new listeners. Yay. Yeah. We've gotten Yay. a lot of new listeners, even while we're on our break. We got new patrons, amazingly wow. enough. You guys are awesome. Uh, yeah, welcome. Thank all you of your new listeners, like she said. And yeah, and welcome yes. back to everybody else. So, yes. And thank you again for sticking with us during our break, guys. Yeah, A, a month of it was planned. The other month, not so much. We had some mm-hmm. technical things happen that were pretty serious we could not record because of them and so we just said fuck it and yeah we're taking september off yeah (laughs) yeah exactly yeah it wasn't yeah it it was frustrating for us as well it really was we didn't get to do our hiatus yeah we didn't get to announce anything yeah that's what i mean our announcement like hey yeah we're taking yeah. Yeah. Really so did. we apologize. So yeah. we appreciate you all. We appreciate all the messages reaching out to see how we were doing, hoping we were yeah. staying safe. Mm-hmm. You guys are great. Yep. We love you. All right. I have murder. Are you guys ready? I don't know. I I feel like weird. It's I feel nervous. Time. I have butterflies. <laughs> it's like my yeah. first time. Ooh, real quick, girls, before we get started, I can't believe I forgot this. New patrons. You have like one job. I know. Plus six. One job. Okay. Plus two more. Okay. He's had some time off. Let's be nice. <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's only two or three. And by two or three, I mean like 15 or 16 new patrons that we For picked real? On. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I'm only doing these. I'm going to read these in order of how they came in because trying to sort them in my brain monetarily wise just will not happen so we're gonna start off here with at five dollars amanda giamatti 
Ooh, I like that last name. Thank Mm -hmm. you, Amanda. Yes. Megan Jones coming in at $10. Megan, thank you. Thank you, Megan. Catherine, I'm I'm guessing it's Scroy. I'm sorry if I mispronounce it, Catherine. He did it better than Sarah and I. It's (laughs) S-C-H-R-O-Y. So I'm guessing Scroy or perhaps Scroy. I'm not sure. Uh, But $5. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. Yes. Uh, Lily Arredondo at 10 Lily. I like that name, Lily. Lily is a pretty name. And I like that last name. Mm-hmm. Pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lacey Hamblin at $10. Thank you, Lacey. Thank you, Lacey. Meredith McCaslin at $20. Thank, Thank you, you, Meredith. Meredith. Mm-hmm. Whoa, you guys are in sync there. Mm-hmm. You know why that is? Okay, real quick. Sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you. And sorry, patrons uh, and listeners, everybody. Um <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of the sooner, but we have like my iPad up and we can see Sarah. So it's like you're it's here. so exciting. I know. <laughs> Except that I had to put pants on for Weird. this recording. Mm. You should have put a shirt on too. But <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't okay, want to bring that up. <laughs> I didn't want to bring it up. But uh, yeah. Complain, okay. complain. All you do is complain. Very I'm, titillizing. I'm working on eye contact. Let's just say that. <laughs> Hey, screw you guys. <laughs> I have a shirt on just so everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, continuing on, we've got Travis Olson at $10. Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Travis. Vicki Edwards at $10. Ah, uh, Vicki. I love that name. Thank it's my mom's you. name. Tori May, $10. <gasps> Tori. Thank you, Tori May. Yes. Amber at $10. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber. Uh, let's see. Paige Newham. Uh, who is uh, one of our new $20 patrons. She's in Great Britain. And so now, uh, for those of you who don't know, and you can go in and change these as well, if you are one of our international listeners, now Patreon allows you to select your local currency as well uh, for that. So, you know, like British pounds, the euro, et cetera, um, are all in there. And so obviously hers is coming through at the British pound. If you are one of our international listeners and you are a patron and you want to see about switching that, just log in your Patreon account and you should be able to switch that over. She also left a note that she uh, wanted to hear Sarah's British accent. Mm, mm. I was hoping you would ask. (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Oh. But her face was so you enthusiastic. Like you're from London. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Moving forward. We have four more. We can do this. Aaron Bynack at $10. Awesome. Thank you, Aaron. Yes. Miranda Bentley at $10. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Miranda. Amber Kincaid at 5 Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber. Kincaid. Kincaid. I like mm-hmm. that last name too. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, Amy Trowbridge at $20. Wow, thank you, Amy. Dang, Amy, thank you. So many new patrons, especially considering we bonkers. weren't even putting out new episodes at that time. Well, October we were. October we did put out the, the patron episodes, that's true, yeah. But, wow, so many new patrons. You guys are all amazing. Mm-hmm. Again, if you want Love to become it. a patron, if you're interested in it, you can go directly to patreon.com and search for us, or you can go to our website, murdermythmystery.com, and you'll see the link right there on our homepage for it. We have different tiers to give you different perks. If you want mm-hmm. to get access to our bonus episodes, then you'd need to be at the $10 and higher level for those. So, 
Well, thank you to everyone for listening and your continued support by voting for us at the Top 50 Podcast Magazine. Oh, yeah. Um, we hope you guys saw our article. We posted it everywhere. I should say I posted like, it everywhere. I did too, uh-huh. like twice or 15 uh, times. That's so awesome. It was so fun to do and, and nerve-wracking for me at least. It really uh-huh. was neat. But the the podcast magazine who interviewed us has their own podcast yes. now as well in which they go through that list, the top 50 list. <laughs> and so they talked to us uh, or they talked about us on their list. Yeah, uh, they played a soundbite sound from our bite. interview. Uh, it was of me and I was like, ugh. I think so. <laughs> That uh, Sarah and I are both can be heard a little bit, like for just yeah. a second. But yeah, it, it's mostly just yeah, Mary explaining something on there. But yeah, the question was directed more so to me on how it started. Yeah, so that's why I was talking. Yeah. But yeah, uh, but yeah. So thank you for voting for us there. Thank you for telling your friends, your coworkers, your family members, your dog. Yeah, thanks for telling your dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, yeah, a, a rising percentage of our listenership comes from pets. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for tagging us. Like it's it's word of mouth and <laughs> listeners um because of you that we're still here. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, our whole podcast we don't market at all. Mm-mm. Literally mm-hmm. at all. We've never paid a dime for any kind of marketing whatsoever. And we've been asked like a lot of big uh Oh yeah, we've had people come to us. We've had a lot of podcasts being like, "Hey, share for share," and all the other stuff. We've had obviously advertising come knocking on our door um, or but, different platforms. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. And us. we're just we're not interested in any of that. We didn't do this to become rich and famous. Yeah, you know, yeah, we could be making a lot of money if we had advertising on the show, but I now that's against our principles. We said early on that we weren't going to do advertising, so that's where you guys come in. You know, the the patrons sharing. Yeah, and just spread and the word. And sharing. Yep, we Can want I to talk we grow organically. Murder? Mm. murder. It's been forever. Forever. Yes. Let me talk murder. Fine. Okay, everybody. Trigger warnings up front. I do mm. mention animals and children. So feel free to. Well, I thought Mary ahead. was going. Oh, it is Mary. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought it was Sarah talking for a second there. Okay. <laughs> oh, I was confused. I was like, wait, I have murder, right? You guys, you guys, it's been two months. Come on. Guys. 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 <laughs> Stop. All right, here we go. I'm going to be talking about Carl Eugene Watts, who goes by his nickname, Coral. 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 Get in the house, Coral. <laughs> But I know Eric will be doing that the whole episode, so I'm going to stick with Carl. Coral! Get in the house, Coral! Besides having the nickname Coral, (laughs) he was also dubbed the Sunday Morning Slasher. Thoughts, Eric? That's a good name. I'm a fan. I am a fan. If you can say Slasher. Of the nickname. Yeah. Not of him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, But of the name. Slasher is a good ad. Adjective, adverb. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Adjective, I guess. Description word. It's swell. Yeah, yeah, it's an adjective, I guess. But All yeah. right. It could be a verb as well. Yeah. It could be, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That'd be slashed or slashing. I don't know. Whoa. Oh, because a slasher could actually be a noun. A noun or a pronoun, or not a pronoun, <laughs> but yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So many things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to know something? <laughs> Carl was born November 7th, 1953, to Richard and Dorothy Watts in Fort Hood, Texas. Oh, where our son is stationed. Yes. 
Two years later, his mother leaves his father and moves her and Carl to Inkstar, Michigan, which is actually right outside of Detroit, for those who are trying to picture this. Okay. Dorothy was a hands-on mother and taught art to kindergarten children. In 1962, she remarried and had a few children, two girls a few years later. Mm-hmm. Now, Carl was described as weird and strange. So, I mean, a lot of kids are that way, right? <laughs> weird mm-hmm. and strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Maybe, maybe not. At the age of 12, Carl started having sexual fantasies, which is a normal age for these feelings to start. But Carl's involved torturing and killing young girls. That's not normal. Okay. When he was 13, he came down with meningitis and was out of school for several months. It was during this time at home he started hunting rabbits and skinning them. Now, because he left school and missed so much due to his sickness, he had to repeat the eighth grade. He wasn't the best student, and school was always really hard for him. When he was 16, he was actually reading at a third grade level and had trouble remembering things. And a lot of people blamed meningitis for this. Well, yeah, I, I guess, I mean, especially if he did have the the, the dangerous kind mm-hmm. the uh the viral meningitis yeah. or bacterial meningitis rather but wow still third grade level That's yeah huge. while in school he participated in the silver gloves boxing program and this brought out his aggressiveness even more and he became more brass and started to physically confront his female classmates and even started to stalk them oof mhm When he was 15, he got a paper route. And I bring this up because on June 29th, 1969, he attacked and sexually assaulted Joan Gave, age 26, in her home. Wow. Right. He's 15. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She was someone on his paper route, right? Okay. And the reason he gave cops on why he did it was he just felt like beating someone up. At the urging of his attorney, he was sentenced to the Lafayette Clinic, uh, which is a mental hospital in Detroit. And according to the doctors, he had learning disabilities and his IQ was 68. Whoa. He was released from Lafayette Clinic on November 9th, 1969, and was put in an outpatient treatment program. Now, right now, are you guys wondering what his doctor said about him? Yeah, and I'm wondering what kind of outpatient services he's receiving here. Well, his records stated he had behavioral issues and displayed a high potential for violently acting out. And the report ended with saying he should be considered dangerous. Okay. Okay. Let's let him out. Oh, of course. Yes. Well, Carl returned to school. He continued to stalk his female classmates and started taking drugs. Because of these violent outbursts, poor grades, and drug use, he returned to the Lafayette Clinic a few times before he even graduated. Hmm. All right? Crazy. So he graduated in 1973, and despite all his bad grades, he actually got a football scholarship to Lane College, Jackson, Tennessee. But guess what? He was expelled three months later because, any guesses? Anyone? Uh, Anyone? Rape. Mm -hmm. 
It was for sexual assault and stalking women, and he also became a suspect in the murder of a female student. However, there was never enough evidence to convict him of the murder. Wow. But guess what? Mm. Carl was able to return to college as he was accepted into a special scholarship and mentoring program sponsored by Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. But before going back to school, he had to get evaluated again at an outpatient facility. And the doctor was like, yeah, this guy is a danger. He has a strong impulse to beat up women. However, due to confidentiality laws, the school was unaware who was roaming their campus. Wait, so this doctor knew about this, but he couldn't tell anybody that this guy was dangerous? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yep. Lenore Nazalki opened her front door on October 25th, 1974, and a man asked for Charles. Then the man started attacking her, but Lenore fought back and survived. October 30th, 1974, just five days later, Gloria Steele, age 19, was found dead with 33 stab wounds to her chest. A witness statement was taken and... They remembered a man at the apartment complex looking for Charles. On November 12th, Diane Williams was attacked but luckily survived, and she managed to report the man's car to the police. Carl was brought in for a lineup, and Lenore and Diane both picked him out of the lineup. Carl was arrested and charged for assault and battery, and although he didn't admit to Gloria Still's murder, he did admit to attacking 15 females wow with his attorney's assistance he was about to commit himself to kalamazoo state hospital right so that was kind of a way to avoid any action Mm, so he committed himself yeah and the doctors there diagnosed carl as having an antisocial personality disorder now before he could go to trial for the charges he had to have a court ordered evaluation That doctor said he was competent to stand trial, but did say Carl was dangerous and felt that he would most likely attack again. This all sounds familiar, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So Carl pleads no contest and received a one-year sentence. In June 1976, he was released and went back home to Detroit to live with his mother. In October 1979, Carl was arrested prowling around in Southfield, which is a Detroit suburb. No charges were formally filed, but in looking back, investigators found five other reports of women being assaulted in the same suburb, but no one could ever identify their attacker. Right? So we're, we're thinking Carl. Yeah. yeah. October 31st, 1979, Carl broke into the home of Jean Klein, who was 35, he stabbed her to death and took no items from her house. He just broke in to kill her. Mm-hmm. Wow. Huh. All right. So now it's April 20th, 1980. 17-year-old Shirley Small was found stabbed to death on her lawn. She had been attacked and repeatedly cut with an instrument resembling a scalpel. No witnesses, no motive. And just as the case was fading from the headlines, we have another murder. July 1980 in Windsor, Ontario. And real quick, for those who don't know, Ontario, Canada, 
uh, is on the south bank of the Detroit River, directly across from Detroit, Michigan. Yeah, they're literally yeah. right by yeah Toronto and Toronto is really close to uh, to uh, Detroit, but yeah. Windsor's mm-hmm. even closer. Yeah. Irene Kondratwitz, age 22, was attacked and had her throat slashed but survived. Later that month, still in Windsor, Sandra uh, Delpy, age 20, was stabbed from behind. But even with numerous wounds to her throat and face, she survived. Mary Angus, age 30, another resident of Windsor, realized she was being followed and started screaming, scaring off the possible would-be attacker. She reported it to the police, as the news of the attacks was making its rounds, you know, around Windsor, right? Mm -hmm. So they uh, called Carl in for a lineup. She picked him out of the photo lineup, but couldn't say for certain if it was him. July 13th, 1980, an Ann Arbor, Michigan resident, Glenda Richmond, age 26, was found dead outside her townhouse. She had been stabbed 28 times. Again, no witnesses, no evidence, no motive. Wow. September 15th, 1980, Rebecca Huff, age 20, was found by her doorway dead, and she had been stabbed 54 times. The Ooh. excess in all of these yes. is just yeah. mind-blowing. Yes. Now, during these murders, Carl was working at a trucking company with his stepfather. He was now a father and had gotten married in August of 1979 to another woman, not the mother of his child. Mm. However, the marriage didn't last long, and he got divorced in May of 1980. By this time, the newspapers had dubbed the murders of women by the Sunday morning slasher. Now, Carl knew they were looking for him, but also knew the police had no clues. He didn't rape his victims. He didn't steal from his victims. There was no witnesses during the early Sunday morning attacks, which were all around 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., right, between those hours. Mm. When the women were coming home in the early morning hours, There again, just no motive, absolutely no evidence to who was doing this. So by now we have dedicated task force in Detroit and Canada looking for this murderer. And remember how I said Mary Angus picked him out of the lineup but wasn't 100% sure? Yeah. Okay. Well, the police pulled up their records and did some investigating and discovered that Carl's car was recorded as leaving Windsor for Detroit after each murder. On November 15th, 1980, an Ann Arbor resident called the police, frantic and saying that she was being followed. The woman hid, and police were able to get there, and they observed a man frantically looking for something. When he drove off, they pulled the car over, and inside the car, they found a book that had been Rebecca Huff's. It had her name on it, right? Okay. And if you remember, she was murdered in September of 1980. Okay. In January of 1981, Carl was given a warrant to have him provide a blood sample. However, the blood didn't link him to any of the crimes, so technically, without evidence, there was nothing the police could do. With the police hot on his trail, Carl moved to Houston, Texas. Probably a smart move. He got work as an auto mechanic and started going to church. He would live with his relatives out there in Houston, on again, off again, and then he also lived in his car. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I want to give you an example of some great police teamwork because sometimes there just isn't the teamwork or the good police investigation, right? Right, right. The lead officer on the case, Detective Paul Bunton, he knew Carl was moving to Houston, and he sent Carl's file over to the Houston police. They were able to locate him, and going off his record and the crimes happening in Houston, they tried to make a connection, but again, there was no evidence linking to, linking Carl to any. Well, and his things all just are so random. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything like, about other him Other than is female, yeah. there's yeah. really no rhyme or reason. Female and, and you know, stabbed Excessive. a, a yeah. billion times. That's his M.O. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it didn't take Carl long to return to his old ways. On March 27, 1981, Edith Ledgett, age 34, was stabbed to death while jogging in Houston. September 5, 1981, Lillian Tilly was found drowned in her apartment. Different, right? We'll get to that. Later that month, on the 12th, Elizabeth Montgomery, age 25, was found stabbed to death while walking her dog. Within hours, Susan Wolf, age 21, was attacked and stabbed to death outside her apartment. So we're increasing, right? Yeah. Now it's May of 1982. Laura Lister, age 21, is approaching the stairs to her apartment building when out of nowhere, a hooded figure comes up from behind her. She let out a muffled scream and then was strangled semi-unconscious. In an interview, Lori said at that moment she was going, she knew she was going to die, and she prayed not for her life, but simply that her body would be recovered. Wow. How sad is that? Right? Ooh, chills. Mm -mm. He takes her to the second floor apartment, and guess what? There's her roommate, Melinda Aguilar, age 18. He threatened to slash her throat if she screamed. He then started strangling Melinda until she went unconscious. He then took the limp body of Lori and headed to the bathroom. Now, hang on to your butts because Melinda, my friends, is a badass. All right. You see, while Melinda was getting strangled, she let her body go limp and pretended to be unconscious. Mm -hmm. Girl. Carl, thinking she was completely out, took hangers and bound Melinda's hand behind her back and put her on the bed. He then focused his attention on Lori and wrapped her hands and feet with hangers. While Carl was filling the bathtub, Melinda ran to the balcony and jumped head first off of it. Whoa. Yep. She then started screaming for help. Now I have some good news. Neighbors had heard the muffled scream Lori did earlier and being good neighbors and concerned citizens, they called the police. Good. We hear many times people good. don't Not do anything. Not my business. Don't know what it was. Yeah, I'm looking all the time. I'll call, I'll call police. I'll call whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the police were already on their way when Melinda jumped. Carl heard the sirens and took off. Now, the neighbor who called the police saw this and ran into the apartment building where they found Lori's limp body submerged in the bathtub. Ooh. And they were able to save her. Oh, wow. Good. Right? As for Carl, they were able to catch him fleeing. They caught him in the courtyard at the apartment building. 
Now, sadly, earlier that same day, Carl had taken another life. The body of Michelle Manday was found drowned in her bathtub in a nearby apartment complex. Wow, his new M.O. of drowning people. Okay. Now, Carl wasn't talking, and they knew, right? They knew they had the guy that was behind all these murders. But again... What, what have I been saying this whole episode? There wasn't an episode to convict or uh, evidence to convict him, right? Or episodes. Or episodes. There it just works. wasn't enough evidence to convict him. So a plea deal was made by the district attorney, and that was to give Carl immunity to the charges of murder if he confessed all his crimes and murders. Now, that's a lot to process, right? Yeah. And as shocking as it was and still is, the reason behind the offer was to bring closure to the families out there in Texas. Carl eventually admitted attacking 19 women and killing 13 of them. Wow. Yes. But not facing charges. Mm -mm. When asked why he did this to women, he said they had evil eyes and he wanted to release their spirit. Oh, and they let okay. this guy go free. Oh, hold on. He eventually admitted to 80 more murders in Michigan and Canada, but wouldn't give any details unless he got a deal like he did in Texas. And that was immunity for the murders. Uh-huh. On September 3rd, 1982, Carl was sentenced to 60 years in prison. Remember, he's not getting murder charges. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, that's not the end of it yet, you you guys. Okay? Just after serving a few months, Carl attempts an escape. He covered his body in hair gel and tried oh to God. slide out his cell window. But he got stuck. He's no Ted Bundy. <laughs> right? He's using oh. hair gel as a lubricant. That's amazing. Which is sticky. Yeah, I would imagine that would be a terrible lubricant. No. Yeah. Realizing he wasn't going to escape from prison, he started his appeal process. Okay, you're like, wait, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Let me tell you some more. The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals reviewed Carl's case in 1989, right? Turns out the judge failed to inform Carl that... The bathtub water he attempted to drown Lori Lister in was constructed as a lethal weapon. Consequency, right? Okay. Uh-huh. He was not required to serve his entire sentence. Okay. Hold up before you have questions. A quick rewind. We're going back to 1987. Yeah. Okay. Texas courts decided that criminals must be told that a quote-unquote deadly weapon finding had occurred during their indictment and that failure to inform the criminal was a violation of the criminal's rights. That's exactly how it's written, a violation of the criminal's rights. And that we, we have to tell them that we found the weapon and because this that is a bathtub, using, yeah, because, that it's evidence, basically. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to kill Lori yeah. in it. So that Un- is a weapon. The water was a weapon. Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. Yes. So now, so, so, like, so let's flash forward to 1989. Carl is reclassified as a nonviolent felon 
which made him eligible for retroactive, quote unquote, good time earned credits. What's that, you wonder? Well, mm-hmm. for being a nonviolent class one inmate, you get two to three days sentence reduction for every one day served. So, yes, these credits would reduce his sentence by more than half, meaning Carl would be getting out of prison in May of 2006. Oh, my. This is in Texas, right? Yes. Um, I can't. Like, give me a minute to process uh, all that. I am so flabbergasted by this right now. Okay. So also with his new prison ranking, that meant he was actually eligible for parole now. Hey. However, he was denied parole six times between 1990 and 2004. Thank God. Now, of course, you guys are just learning this, right? Mm. But can you imagine the victim's family surviving victims and just concerned citizens? Mm. Yeah. They weren't too happy Mm -hmm. with this either, and I don't blame them. Mm -hmm. The public outcry became loud, and the lawmakers were listening and actually agreeing with them. The Michigan Attorney General went on national TV in 2004 before Carl's trial and pleaded with anyone who had information about Carl Eugene Watts to come forward. They were casting and looking for something to reel in, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what, friends? It paid off. Joseph Foy came forward and said he saw someone matching Carl's description murder Helen Dutcher in December of 1979. And guess what? She was stabbed to death numerous times. Hey, look at that. His M.O. Now, remember the immunity deal he got in Texas, right? Can we forget? Mm -hmm. Okay, right. Well, he had no immunity agreement in Michigan. Before his trial began... Law enforcement officials asked the judge to allow Texas confessions into evidence, and the judge agreed to permit them. Because <laughs> oh. usually that's like a no-no thing. Yeah, you know what oh, I mean? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he's already served his time for it, too. So, yep. yeah. Carl was charged with murder of Helen Dutcher. A Michigan jury convicted him on November 17, 2004. On December 7th, he was sentenced to life in prison. Now, in 2007, he was also charged for the murder of Gloria Steele, which we talked about earlier. Yeah. And he was sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Carl died September 21st, 2007 of prostate cancer. So basically while the trial, just yep. after the trial, yep. they gave him life in prison and he ended up dying anyway. Mm-hmm. Wow. Talk about an atrocity of the judicial system. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a sad one. That is that's just, insane. Wow. I mean, I get that prisons have issues as far as trouble with overcrowding yeah, and funding, stuff like that, right? So there's this whole like, hey, if you're a model prisoner, we'll give you time served right. towards good behavior kind of thing or whatever goes towards time served. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I get the appeal of the prison system to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. It, it's sad that they're put in that corner. It really is. But. Yeah. No, this on. one was, this was, uh, this was, uh, like, I totally understand the reasoning for the deal. But, like, when I was researching all this, I was like, what are you fucking thinking? Yeah. Complete but, immunity? Yeah. Well, not complete, because obviously he still had to go to jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But. 
for I don't know what was he so what was he that was, charged um, for? Yes, so the actual charge and what he was serving for was burglary with the intent to kill. Oh, okay. So that was the sixty years. Yeah, that you broke into the house and mm-hmm. you were armed yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, that's yeah. that's about you it. You had okay. her head submerged in you know. So that's a robbery, of water. basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and speaking of uh, Lori and Melinda, real quick. In a later interview, Melinda was saying that while she was tied up in um, pretending to be unconscious on the bed, right? Uh-huh. When he finally got them tied up and, like, knocked out and everything, he, this is ridiculous, he clapped and jumped for joy and giggled. Um. Oh. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can't I, I can't even imagine, but kudos for Melinda for for you know, going limp, pretending to be knocked out. I I can't even imagine like I mean, she's 18. She's barely 5 foot and like 84 86 mm-hmm. pounds and just she like awesome. Yeah. It's yeah, the best bet. Yeah. Diving off the second floor balcony head first with your hands Tied. Yeah. Like ridiculous. Oh like kudos. Wow. Yeah. Survival is, yeah. right there. That is brave. Yeah. That and is. kudos to the neighbor for hearing something and doing something. And it's one yeah. of those. This is going to sound really weird, but I think you guys will understand it. There's part of me that that's almost kind of that feels kind of bad for him. And it, it just because of the fact that. Yeah. Explain. He, he obviously was not mentally capable. You know, what am I trying to say? Whether it be due to the meningitis that he had or whatever else, he was mentally handicapped. He, yeah, basically. Yeah. And it, it's hard to see people that are mentally handicapped, you know, given life sentences and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, mm-hmm. he knew what he was doing, you know? So that's where there's that right. part of me that's like, ah, that's I have torn. no part of that. You know, because. Here's the thing, and I fully understand, and, like, I mean, we both work with special needs people, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it is a touchy subject with us. Yeah. But all of them comprehend, you know what I mean? If I pull a sad face, they're, like, the first ones to comfort me. They know right and wrong, you know what I mean? And he I think... He, he knew what he was doing. It started at 15. Come on. The doctors yeah. and the programs out there really failed. Really, it started Not, at 12, like, really, but this dark fantasy yeah, and everything. Yeah, they failed him, and they failed the potential people that he, yeah. you know, harmed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. No, I, I, and I'm not justifying anything, obviously, in saying that. It's just there is that side of me that's a little torn on there because yeah. – and I know that I'll probably get some flack for saying that, and that's fine. Because uh, I, again, I'm not. I understand him where at all. you're coming from, yeah, but yeah. Like, I just feel bad that that it, it's not like anybody did anything to him either. So it's not like I can say it's not his fault or, or you know so and so's fault or anything else. I mean, obviously he, for one reason or another, whether it was the meningitis or whatever, he just was not mentally. Some people are born bad. Full. I stand by that. No, that's true. Yeah. That is that is absolutely true. And so I don't know. I just, yeah. Like with the ferocious, like stabbing people, what, 30, 40, 50 times? Yeah. Like, 
There's anger in there. There's, rage. there's yeah. more there. Like, and I couldn't really find anything too much into his, like, his his mother and stepfather and the sisters. Like, he seemed to have a normal childhood. Like, a lot of times we hear different things, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that can definitely mess up a kid. But oh, absolutely. other than, like, just starting the dark fantasies and then moving into yeah. like the meningitis which i i mean i don't mm. know enough on that yeah i mean mary had meningitis and it, it did turn her into a psychopath for a while but <laughs> she had she had a different form of meningitis <laughs> well i'm guessing i have the non-murdery know. one apparently well, the non-murderous that's form. what we think yeah yeah but wow. anyways there is Carl. Coral. 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 Eugene Watts. I thought you guys would enjoy that. Wow. And I know I said I gave a warning, but it was just like the mention of the rabbit and the child thing was because the one little girl was 17. 17, yeah. yeah. I know we have some very sensitive listeners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I I get it. And it's it's hard. It doesn't matter how old somebody is when they die. It's it's rough. Especially if, well, yeah, let alone they die. I mean, it's sad, especially... I mean, but yeah, if you're natural young, causes, haven't even had, but had a chance to like, live. Yeah, yeah, just randomly taken for walking to your apartment building, getting senseless. out of your car, walking yeah. your dog. And like and like we've been saying, senseless. I mean, there's no justified murder out there no. of an innocent life. I mean, don't get me started about some right. vigilante stuff. But <laughs> we're looking at you, Batman. Batman. That is your real you. name. I think it's Bruce Wayne. What? What? I don't want... Mind blown. Oh, can we edit that? Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Can we edit? Bombshell. Mary's going with Bruce Wayne? (laughs) Wow. No one saw that coming. (laughs) Wow. I really was going to put my money on Harvey Dent, but all right. Okay, Bruce Wayne. All right. Sarah's going for uh, Clark Kent. (sighs) Yeah. The the reporter guy? Wow. Okay. Anyways, there you go, guys. There's my murder. Come, feel free to express your feelings about this. We'd love when you guys come in and tell us about, you know, your opinions on this. Your two cents. But yeah, we love hearing it, from you it's, guys. It's an interesting case. It really is. I mean, there's there's it's always, balls. There's... Yeah, it's always bonkers when we talk about something, not like murder or a myth or mystery, anything, where people come in and I'm like, oh, I live there. Yeah. Like, I'm a town over. I remember this. This shocked us. I went to school with them. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. I love hearing from you guys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I hope myth and mystery isn't as dark. Um. Well, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess I'll go ahead and jump in here with myth then. All right. Now, before I get into my myth today, I feel that I need to give a bit of a disclaimer first. Oh, jeez. I know. <laughs> Children. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be talking about some stuff related to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam that may contradict or at least be different from what some of you have been taught your whole lives. I don't do this to be disrespectful. Quite the opposite, actually. As a fan of ancient religions, I have a lot of respect for what are generally considered the big three. And what I'm going to be talking about is all found in religious texts going back 5,000 years in some cases. So I'm trying to approach this as more of an education for those of you that are practitioners of these religions so that you can hopefully learn some more about them and possibly do your own further research if it interests you. 
I am in no way saying that what you believe is wrong, just that most people really only have the smallest of an idea of what their holy texts are telling them thanks to some very awkward translation issues over the last several millennia. Mm -hmm. So, with all of that out of the way, let's dig in. Okay. I'm going to read a list of some names, and I want you to tell me what they all have in common. Okay. Gabriel, Michael, Raphael, Azazel, Ariel, Daniel, and Samuel. What do they have in common, girls? Angels. Yeah, I was going to say angels. Yes, they are all angels or archangels found in the Bible. But they also share another trait that some of you may have noticed. They all end in the letters E-L. While on the surface it may appear to just be a coincidence... I can tell you with complete honesty that it is quite intentional and is just one of the hints of something much larger at play. On an earlier episode of the show, I mentioned that both Christianity and Islam are more or less branches of Judaism. All three religions use the first book of the Hebrew Bible as the foundation of their teachings and are really not that different from each other, not as much as people seem to want to believe anyway, I bring this up because the evidence that I will be presenting to you mostly stems from the Hebrew Bible, and in some cases, much older religions that led to the creation of these books. If I was to ask you what the name of God is, most Christians and Jews would tell you that it is either Yahweh or Jehovah. How do we know this? Well, it pretty much says it dozens of times throughout the various books that make up the Bible. In fact, Yahweh is actually one of the most used words in the Bible. But what if I was to tell you that Yahweh has some competition? There is another name thrown around quite a bit in the Bible that also claims to be the name of God. And that name is El. There is possibly no better example of this than in what may be the most important book in the Old Testament, Genesis. In Genesis 14, 19, the king of Salem, which was the old name of Jerusalem, greeted and welcomed Abraham by bringing out bread and wine and saying, Blessed be Abraham by God, El Elyon, which means God most high. In Genesis 14, 22, Abraham swore an oath to the king of Sodom in the name of the creator of heaven and earth, El Elvon. In Genesis 17.1, when God establishes the covenant of circumcision, he identifies himself as El Shaddai, or God Almighty. It is also El Shaddai who instructs Jacob to change his name to Israel. Hey, look at that. There's another E-L again. Boom. In Genesis 35, Elohim came to Jacob and told him to move to the town of Luz to build an altar to God's appearance to him. Jacob built the altar and dedicated it to El, and then changed the name of the town to Bethel, or House of God. It's not just the Christians and Jews that reference El. Besides reference to El in ancient Canaanite texts, Islam doesn't even hide it, as evidenced by the Islamic name for God, Allah, which is a derivative of El, as in Allah. Now, here is where things get a bit touchy, religiously speaking. The official stance of both Christians and Jews is that El and Yahweh are one and the same. But there are plenty of religious scholars out there that say that they are indeed separate beings. 
which, if true, would mean that both religions are actually polytheistic, meaning that they believe in multiple gods. This, of course, is a very bold statement, since monotheism is a big cornerstone of the teachings of the religions, so they had better have some evidence to back it up. Well, here is what we have. I'll leave the judgment up to you. Several verses of the Bible refer to Yahweh as more of a storm god, whereas El is never mentioned in that capacity. In Psalm 29, 3-7, we learn that the voice of the Yahweh is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Yahweh strikes with flashes of lightning. This is a particularly interesting verse to me because it makes Yahweh sound very similar to Zeus, which would not exactly be a huge shocker since a good chunk of the Greek gods originated from the Canaanites, which are the tribe of people that lived in Canaan, where modern-day Israel and Lebanon are located. And as I mentioned earlier, they also referred to El as a god, and not just any god, but the god of all gods. The Canaanitic texts also make reference to Yahweh, but in a lesser capacity than El. History tells us that the Canaanites were a Semitic-speaking people and were the predecessors of the people that would form Judaism. So a direct line to polytheism can certainly be drawn there. Psalm 82 has proven to be quite controversial in that it elaborates on something called the Council of El. Right off the bat, Psalm 82.1 states, Elohim, or God if you will, stands in the council of El. He judges among the gods, or Elohim. If you read that psalm at face value, it is straight up telling us that El has a council of lesser gods below him. But El does do something interesting here in which he states, You are Elohim. You are all sons of Elvon, God most high. But you will die like mere men. You will fall like every other ruler. So in essence, El is stripping these Elohim of their godly immortality, leaving him to be what appears to be the only remaining immortal God. But that is also assuming that Yahweh was one of these Elohim, which we just don't know. If you are confused by the fact that I referred to both El and the lesser gods as Elohim, that is totally understandable. It all comes down to the grammar. Elohim with a capital E is a direct reference to El, whereas Elohim with a lowercase e is the plural form of God. Further evidence of El being a big deal is that list of names I read off earlier. Mm -hmm. While not all-encompassing, that list of names all have translations. Gabriel means strength of God. Michael means who is like God. Raphael means God's medicine. Azazel means fallen god. Ariel means lion of God. Daniel means God is my judge. And Samael has probably the most metal translation with venom of God. To add a little more fun to this list, Israel means who struggles with God. Nathaniel means God-given and Elizabeth means, as in Elizabeth, means my God is abundance. Even Superman's real name is a reference to this. Cal El means voice of God. Oh, shut up. Interesting. 
So as you can see, there is a lot of evidence to back up the claims that El may be separate from Yahweh, and in fact, may actually be a more important deity if you follow the history. Again, I just want to reiterate that all of this has just been presented as food for thought. I am not saying your beliefs are wrong or misguided in any way, but how many Christians have actually read the Bible in its entirety? I'm not calling you out for being a bad Christian. It's just that the Bible is extremely difficult to read. That's why we have a normal practice of church leaders reading certain sections of the Bible to their parishioners and then explaining the meaning behind what they just read. You almost have to be a theologian in order to really understand all of the little nuances of the book. Dude, I know missionaries who have never completed the Book of Mormon. Right. Book of Mormon or the Bible. Or yeah, yeah, the Bible. But like the Book of Mormon is huge, obviously, in the Mormon religion. Yeah, yeah. And that also goes for the Torah and the Quran. But if you do make the effort to really dig into these books and pay attention to what they are saying, you will find some beautiful messages mixed in with horrible atrocities and possibly a new appreciation for the best-selling book of all time. Yes. Also the most stolen book. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The mm-hmm. Torah. That's a hard one. One of these days I'm going to find Gideon and return all those Bibles that I've been finding in the, the hotels for him and saving up. <laughs> oh, jeez. There you go. Well, and that's the end of the show, guys. This is our last episode. <laughs> Gotta the pun, run. Literally. The puns have uh, outdone us. <laughs> Wow. Oh, so what have you got for us, Sarah? Okay, trigger warning. No, just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Like on a mystery? (laughs) No, not really. Okay. All right. So the Biltmore Estate, located in Asheville, North Carolina, was originally built to be a vacation home for George Washington Vanderbilt, one of the heirs to the Vanderbilt Industrial Fortune. But today is known as one of the most haunted places in America. <laughs> it's definitely in the top thousand. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I just had to How that. many? I love it. Jeez. There's there like be no fact checking. Can I just... Can I just say this is the most haunted home in America right now? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. No, I think mine is the most haunted home. Uh, Yeah. That ghost in your picture. I can't even figure it out. I hate it. I sent Mary and Eric a picture of Jack standing in front of like my last harvest out of my garden. And, and there's like Mary sends us, me a picture back. And she's like, do you see the face in that? And I was like, oh, come there's on. There's not a face there. What? There's so- something's not right. No. Whatever. Well, first, I didn't even tell her it was her own photo. Like, I, I, I zoomed it in. It yeah. And I was like, do you see a face in here? And she's like, ew, yeah. And then she's like, wait, is that my photo? <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Is that my dirty glass? <laughs> yeah, I was all, ew. And I'm sure it's something yeah. in a bunch of different angles, but it, I also you know, see I'm an gonna eye. I'm going to be honest, it's probably smudges. Like, Jack, <laughs> I caught him licking that window today. I was going to say, in the picture, yeah. you can obviously see a pattern in in the background that is also there in the face right? as well. But it, you can also see someone holding a knife? No. Okay. 
Oh, yeah, no, that was Brett. He was waiting for me to come inside. No, so. it's and it's a ridiculous-looking face at that, too. It's like a giant triangle face, too. It's so. not. This is big, menacing eyeball. No. Sorry, sir. <laughs> Go on. No. Okay, so George Washington Vanderbilt was born in Staten Island on November 14th, 1862, and was fortunate enough to have been born into a life that offered him staggering amounts of money that he never had to lift a single finger to earn. How would that be, right? Mm, that's rough. I know. He was the youngest child of William Henry Vanderbilt and Maria Louisa Kissam and was the grandson of the famed industrial and philanthropist Cornelius Vanderbilt. Great names all around. It really is. I Vanderbilt know. is such a, it's a name that you have to be rich. Yeah. To have that name. You can't like, be poor. Oh. You can't be like Billy Bob Vanderbilt. You know what I mean? <laughs> it just doesn't no, work. You <laughs> You'd have to change your name. Oh, this is this Bubba Vanderbilt. Yeah. No, it doesn't work that yeah. way. Yeah. No. Nope, it does not. So as the youngest of William's children, George was said to be his father's favorite and was his constant companion. Relatives described George as a slender, dark-haired, and pale-complected, shy, introverted man. And his interest ran to philosophy, books, and the collection of paintings in his father's large art gallery, as time passed, he also acquired a private library of more than 20,000 written volumes and books. So this guy was living the life. Yeah, know? I'm jelly. I know. So in addition to frequent visits to Paris, France, where several of the Vanderbilts kept homes, George Vanderbilt also traveled extensively, becoming fluent in several foreign languages. When George's grandfather passed away, he inherited $2 million and soon received another million on his 21st birthday from his father. Oh, come oh, on. Just, yeah, just, just wait for this. Upon his father's death in 1885, he inherited $5 million more. Come wow. on. <laughs> as well as the income from a $5 million trust fund. What? Okay, I'm so, going to go okay. cry. <laughs> okay, so to put some perspective on that, mm -hmm. $1 million at that time is the equivalent to approximately $26,711,443.30 in 2020. So he's basically, he's worth a couple hundred million dollars in today's money, more or less, two yeah. or three, two or three uh, hundred yeah. million dollars. Okay. Mm -hmm. And not he's hurting. like not even 25 yet. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, this poor guy, to stay busy, George ran the family farms at New Dorp and Woodland Beach, which is now the neighborhood of Midland Beach on Staten Island, and lived with his mother in Manhattan until his own townhouse at 9th West and 53rd Street was completed in 1887. The Vanderbilt family business was operated by his older brothers. So at this point, George was able to spend most of his time in his intellectual pursuits. So everybody else is taking care of the business. He just yeah. has checks to cash. Yeah, yeah, he's just like the baby of the family. And he's like, I think today I'll learn to speak. He has no responsibilities at all. No. Oh. No. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 
Must yeah. be the life. Right? I know. So George first visited Asheville, North Carolina in 1887. He loved it there and began to consider the area as a possible location to build his country home. On a second visit to the Blue Ridge Mountains with his mother in 1888, he instantly fell in love with the mountains in the town and began purchasing land. He decided at the tender age of 26 that he would build a vacation home there, thinking something with a little yard would be nice. So naturally, he purchased 125,000 acres. <laughs> a little yard. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's like the whole state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he called in the shovels. He's like, let's get to work. So by 1889, he had an entire community of craftsmen ready to work and create a 250-room French Renaissance chateau. 250-room? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Why? <laughs> like, you guys, I get overwhelmed in my house, and we have like... <laughs> Eight rooms. Wow. I'm like, what? That's like including bathrooms and closets. <laughs> right. yeah, I'm like, I just can't get to it. It's too big. Oh my God. Yeah. What yeah. would you do with that? There's there's so know. many rooms would, that we'll never even get walked into. I would live oh. in this wing for like yeah. summer, this wing for fall. Yeah. yeah. You know, I would, would make though. it you work. Could, you could like discover new rooms all the time. You'd be like, I don't even remember that was there. I mean, you can make a hell of a B and B out of it, I guess. But Jesus, Gross. strangers! Christ. <laughs> wow. So, so after six years, and what was the largest undertaking in residential architecture to date? America's premier home and the environmental wonderland that surrounded it was finally completed. So Vanderbilt spent a significant part of his inheritance on the estate including building out a private railway line to bring his family and guests to the grounds, which were at that point pretty far outside the city limits of Asheville. Mm -hmm. So on Christmas Eve of 1895, Vanderbilt officially opened Biltmore to friends and family. The country retreat George had spent so long planning was marvelously decorated and full of festivity. The finished home contained over four acres of floor space, including 35 bedrooms, 43 bathrooms, and 65 fireplaces. <laughs> Why so many fireplaces? <laughs> it gets drafty. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand this, but all right. Yeah, I mean, why not? So in 1898, George married Edith Stuyvesant Dresser, a descendant of Peter Stuyvesant, the first governor of Dutch colonial New York in Paris. After honeymooning in Italy, Edith and George returned to live full-time at Biltmore. In addition to his architectural passions, George was an avid collector of books, as I mentioned earlier, art and artifacts. He and Edith turned Biltmore into a private museum of luxury, 
and would host lavish parties and entertain guests over extended stays. I think the reason I was drawn to this is because it just reminds me so much of the Hearst Castle. Yeah, yeah, those like, wealthy just, people that just build whatever insanity. Yeah, I just it's and then like have their guests. It's like oh, come for the month of May. Right. We'll have such good times. Like you can stay in the guest mansion. <laughs> I've got an entire wing dedicated to you. <laughs> so George and Edith's, Edith's only daughter, Cornelia, was born on the evening of August 22nd, 1900. That's Sack of Potatoes' birthday. <laughs> it matters. Yeah, it does. And she was born in the Louis the 15th room. They named them. The Louis, like Louis the 15th, 15th room. La, 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 la. Okay. And that same year, construction of the main dairy and horse barn would begin. The horse barn would become a thriving social and work center for families who farm Biltmore and the agricultural heart of the estate. George passed away on March 6th of 1914 at the age of 51 due to complications following an appendectomy in Washington, D.C. Wow, appendicitis got him, huh? Yeah, like... Can we just say a little shout out to modern medicine? Seriously, yeah. <laughs> what these days is considered standard, well, pretty routine. I mean, it is emergency. Yeah, you know, if you don't get it, treated, it's you an can't emergency, die. but yeah. like, it's not like a thing that's like, oh my gosh, if you get that, you're done. Yeah, if I had appendicitis and I got to the emergency room, you know, with plenty like, of time, not it's not like Mary would be like freaking out. Oh, Eric's gonna die. Right. <laughs> like this is it. Get the will. Like, yeah. dude, I freak out. Anytime Eric mentions something. That's off. true. I was a little lightheaded the other day and a little short of breath. And oh my God, she was freaking out. Yeah. It's like keys in hand, masked up. I was ready to go. Yeah. yeah. She's like, do you smell weird toast? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Lord Jesus, I'm too young for this to happen. Lord Jesus. <laughs> Don't take my man. Says the Jew. Lord Jesus. I will call out to anyone who will help me. <laughs> Help a Jewish God. Baby anybody, Jesus. Anybody. Eight pounds. Baby Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, people. Back to the story. Sorry. So, George left a legacy of philanthropy, which Edith continued by selling approximately 87,000 acres of the estate Good. to the United States Forest Service for less than $5 an acre. Good be- for her. Oh. That's yeah. great That's news. awesome. Yeah. So, and that was like, he he wanted that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, if it, how much was it? Like uh, 70 something, a thousand acres, you said? 87,000. 87,000 yeah. at five bucks. Okay. Yeah. That's not bad. That's, that's not bad cool. at all. Yeah. So the estate was passed down to George's only daughter, Cornelia, and her husband, John Cecil. In 1930, in response to requests to increase tourism during the Depression and to generate income to preserve the estate, the Cecils opened Biltmore to the public. During World War II, the house stored priceless works of art from the National Gallery in Washington, D.C., And in 1960, George's grandson, William, planted the very first of many grapevines on the estate. In 1883, construction began on the new winery in which had been the estate's dairy. And William proclaimed that it was the quote unquote most historical event since my grandfather opened this estate to the family on Christmas Day 90 years earlier. 90? Wow. 
Yeah. So the winery officially opened its doors to guests in 1985. And in 2001, the inn on Biltmore Estate opened and guests could finally get a personal taste of the Vanderbilt hospitality. And I've got to say, I want to go visit this place. It's gorgeous. I hear that the whole region of Asheville area is really, really pretty. Anyway, North Carolina is is really pretty. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So I yeah, and I've heard that Asheville is a really neat area, but I haven't yeah, been there myself. I've never heard that. But Asheville, yeah, I've heard it's really pretty out it's, there. Yeah, North okay. Carolina like, is very woodsy. The North Carolina is very a lot of woods there. It's really pretty. It's very green. Okay, yeah, I had no idea. And the smoke, the 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 Blue Ridge Mountains that you were talking about. Yeah, that is an amazing mountain range. My my folks actually live in the the they have a home in the Blue Ridge Mountains in Georgia. And oh, yeah, it's just supposed yeah. to be incredible. That's the only thing I know of it. Yeah, Mary doesn't know a whole lot about back east, so yeah. The pig got a monster. Awesome. I know about it. They got champ in New York. How about that? Does that? Does yep, that work? There it is. All right, there you go. Uh, they, you, so, you got the Mothman. Yeah, Ooh. I know lots of stuff back there. Yeah. So, though the city has crept up on it over the years, the estate remains impressive and the house remains the largest privately owned home in America. Still open to the public, the house, the surrounding estate, the winery, and related attractions make Biltmore one of the biggest tourist destinations in North Carolina. So, I know this has been a history lesson up to this point, and you're probably wondering, what other than who in the world has that much money is the mystery to this story. Well, I'm getting to that. Supposedly, after Vanderbilt died in 1914, his wife, Edith, was so convinced that she could speak to George's spirit that she would sit in front of one of the library fireplaces, because remember, there were 64 in the mansion. (laughs) Probably all in the library. (laughs) Probably. There's no walls. It's just right next to each other's fireplaces. It's just like ground ground. on top of each other. (laughs) It's a wall of fire. Nice. I like it. (laughs) So apparently, though, she would sit in front of one of the fireplaces, and she would talk to George, his spirit. Visitors to the estate today swear that you can sometimes hear both of their voices conversing with each other in the library. (laughs) So during his lifetime, Vanderbilt was particularly proud of that library and would spend a considerable amount of time in there pouring over some rare book edition or another. It was Vanderbilt's particular habit to retreat into the library when he saw a storm approaching, like you do. I know I always go to my library when the weather gets bad. You know, actually, yeah. I get it. You know, when you've got a thunderstorm going on, no, it's nice to kind of curl up man. and read a book. Yeah. Yes. Like, it just makes sense. Yeah. Take your His, cocoa. Mm, yeah, marshmallows. Right. Yeah. Let's go with wine for me. Wine with anyway. marshmallows? Okay. <laughs> That's her go-to signature drink. Red wine and marshmallows, yeah. <laughs> it's delicious. I hate you guys. (laughs) His ghost may be continuing this habit as workers and visitors to the estate are said to have seen a shadowy figure in the library, usually when the skies are dark and there's an oncoming storm. George Vanderbilt may also not be the only member of his family keeping up old habits. Edith Vanderbilt was known to personally journey down to the library to remind her husband when it was time to join his guests. Today, many people passing through the library have reported hearing a woman's voice 
whisper the name George. She may be summoning George away from his studies and back to what seems to be an eternal party. Workers and visitors have reported hearing the sounds of clinking glasses, laughter, and snatches of music echoing through the halls. There have even been reports of the sounds of splashing coming from the estate's now empty swimming pool. Why am I oh. picturing like that that group photo from The Shining where Jack Nicholson's right? in the yes. photo with everybody? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's such a great photo. The New Year's yeah, thing uh-huh. or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Additionally, their presence are apparently felt throughout the house, especially in the billiard and the oak sitting room. Visitors and employees have reported sometimes hearing laughing and even joyous screaming in these rooms periodically. Several employees of the estate have also claimed to hear a baby crying in or near the Louis the 15th room, which you'll remember their daughter was born in. Mm-hmm. But of course, when they went to investigate, the room was empty. Ugh. Thank God. For some reason, like the baby, baby cry crying. is just the worst. Le- it's the Period. worst when like ghost or not. <laughs> exactly. No, like exactly. Like it's uh, I can't even tell you. It's just not But an like opinion. a ghost baby cry when you know the room is empty. Oh, that is discomfort. Or yeah, yeah. kids yeah. doing rhymes. Like, no. Go outside. Go outside with your rhymes. Get out. Get out. <laughs> Take your one, two, Freddy's coming for you elsewhere. Get Go out. Go on, get. I don't want you here. Go on, get. Yeah. <laughs> Squirting them with a water bottle. Yeah. Can of marbles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's how no. I deal with ghosts nowadays. I don't got time. A coffee can filled with marbles. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I love it so much. Open a window or a door so they can leave and good day. Yeah. Oh, good day to you, sir. <laughs> All right, so in a seemingly random twist, a phantom orange cat without a head has also been seen dashing through the gardens. Oh, come on. A headless tabby. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's how you'd know it's a ghost cat, not just a stray. Yeah. (laughs) I guess. Mm, Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) if the Vanderbilts were indeed continuing their lavish existence into the afterlife, it may be evidence that while you may not be able to take it with you, you also don't necessarily have to leave it all behind. I was going to say they worked hard for this, but no, they didn't. Right? No. No, He he, he didn't do anything for it. Okay, he didn't, but his family worked hard. Okay. That house was But they're not the one haunting it. That's true. true. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's true. But Mm. he loves it. And he 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 just has a a plush a plush space he doesn't want to leave wow i get it yeah yeah Yeah. anyway i thought it was a fun little fun little story yeah fun no i concur that is fun little story (laughs) the most haunted place one of the most haunted places places in america Mm -hmm. well good job i mean you can come to my house it's the most haunted place in america as well yeah You get your own can of marbles. <laughs> hey, Actually, you can come to my house anytime you want to hear a baby crying. That's true. Not a toast Actually, I'm pretty sure that our listener Becky's house in Pittsburgh oh is the most gosh. haunted house in America. Oh, so. I can't uh-huh. wait for our patron ghost story night. Yeah, she's got some great stories. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Those will yeah. be great. I have a couple good ones. I was going to say I have in the spank paint, but that's the wrong Wow. <laughs> 
I have a couple good ones I've been Girl, saving. I don't even know what you're fantasizing about, but wow. <laughs> Yeah. Anyways. The, I, actually, I think it is the right term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She loves ghosts. Stop. She really loves ghosts. Yeah. Okay. I love ghosts, but you shouldn't love okay. ghosts. Okay. The wrong oh. term was used. And on that note, we're back. It's good to be back. We'll find our groove. Sure. I think we found it. Maybe. We're a I shit show, so it. it's fine. Yeah. All right, you guys. Oh. Say bye. 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 Bye.